everyone welcome to another episode of crushing on with karen this is episode 10 and we have an amazing guest this week i spoke to gabe gabriel he is a filmmaker he is so he's a director writer actor he's a queer activist and he's just been doing amazing work in the industry so here's this new film coming out called runs in the family it just premiered at durban international film festival and i'm really really excited about it so i spoke to him about the film about his previous films his relationships with his father and who's the director of this film and he's yeah he's experiencing the industry it was just such a lovely conversation but before we get to that i um i just wanted to say that on our youtube page which is called crushing on podcast you can go to that now we'll be publishing exclusive interviews that we did with the directors of Kazazi Moto. So Kazazi Moto is the first African anthology series that Disney Plus produced. It was created by Triggerfish Studios and what they did was um, each episode or each short film tells a story of a futuristic Africa. And the idea was conceptualized by former guest Kevin Crederman and um, it was really amazing like each story comes from a different country so there's an egyptian one there's some um there's from zimbabwe there's obviously a few from south africa and it's incredible storytelling so if you're looking for something to watch this weekend or this week put the kids in front of the tv watch this brilliant african animation but we're going to give you a little bit of a promo to that interview which you can find on youtube so don't forget to go out to youtube and get it there yeah, and I think it's like, you know, we we just have to see what the continent has to say. I think that was the coolest thing about this, is that we were given the space. So once again, that was a snippet, a little bit, a kleiner biki of our interview with the directors of Kazazi Moto. You can watch it, so you can see them chatting and talking about it in beautiful HD on YouTube. So go ahead to Crushing On Podcast on YouTube to see that. But I don't want to keep you waiting any longer. This was uh, a dream come true interview. I've been admiring Gabe's work for quite a while. So getting to speak to him was an immense opportunity. So here's our chat with Gabe Gabriel. Hi Gabe, welcome to Crushing On. How are you doing? Thank you so much. I'm well, thanks. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. I'm great. Can't complain. Um, So, you know, we're here because you have a new film coming out. Um, It runs in the family. So tell us, tell us what the film is about. Sure, yes. Um, Runs in the Family is a movie about a father and son, quite an unlikely father and son pair. It's an Indian South African dad and his transgender son who go on a kind of wacky road trip across the country to rescue the son's long lost mother out of a rehab clinic that she's been put into by some dodgy ex-boyfriend of hers. And they break her out and they have to rush back home in time for the son to compete in a big drag competition with a massive cash prize that the son is hoping to use to get his gender-affirming top surgery. Okay, so, okay, first question I have about Mm. that is like, so what is it like working with your real-life father who directs the film? Like, 
It was the it's best. We've, we've worked together quite a bit. Um, he's a he's a director. He's done some films, some mm. TV, and some commercials over the years. And he's also my biggest mentor and one of my best friends. We have a really good working relationship. And um, the only new thing about this film was that it was sort of a film about us. Obviously, the story is made mm. up. It's fictional. But the characters were very much us. You know, I really modeled the two lead characters on the type of sort of positive relationship that we have because I haven't seen a lot of positive uh, parent-child relationships where the child is trans. So I really wanted to show that because it's it's possible because my dad has shown me that it's it's possible. So I, I want other people to know that it's possible to love their trans kids and other trans people to know that it's possible to have parents who are supportive and, and fun. And even if they make mistakes, like they just love you. So they'll, you know, they'll ride along with you. Um, so that was that was the new aspect to making this film is that it was the first time we were working with uh, content that that came from home a little more. You know, mm -hmm. it wasn't outside of us. It was very much a part of us. But it, it went beautifully. You know, we have a, a real shorthand because we understand each other in terms of like vision and values and stuff. So it was easy for us to be on the same page. And then we had to get everyone else on the same page as us for our kind of shared vision because I wrote it and he directed it. But obviously he also sat in on some of the scripting and mm -hmm. kind of challenged me to make it stronger here and there and whatnot. So it was very collaborative. And was the process like therapeutic for the two of you to go through together? Yeah, yeah, I think it was. Not in the sense that we weren't already close, but in the sense that we discovered new things about each other. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, when I came out as trans to my dad, he didn't know a lot about what it meant to be trans. Mm -hmm. All he had seen was what he'd seen on like film and TV, which is usually very negative. Usually, mm -hmm. you know, someone's going to die or be really sad or never loved or lonely and no family and kicked out and whatnot. So his immediate response wasn't a negative response, but he was nervous. You know, he was mm -hmm. like, are you sure people aren't going to be nice to you? People aren't going to understand you. It might isolate you. And so what was really beautiful about working on the story together and then eventually shooting it together was that he got to kind of ask questions like personal questions about how I felt as a trans person in this world mm -hmm. that I think maybe he would have been shy to ask if we weren't working on this film together mm -hmm. but because he could ask about the character it was his way I think of asking me just things about like how how I feel and when I feel in danger when I feel safe and what what means the most to me in, in terms of support. So that was cool. And I think the reverse also happened. You know, I got to ask him questions about his youth and his identity and figuring mm -hmm. out the kind of man that he wanted to be as a, as a young guy and then as he got older as well. So we, we I guess we used discussions about the character to kind of talk about us in a way that was different to how we usually talk about us because mm -hmm. we kind of just know each other, you know. So... You know, what? so what exactly, like, inspired the film? Was it your relationship with your father? Was it the, um, the father-son relationship we don't usually see? Like, what would yeah, you say? you hit the nail on the head with both of those things. Mm. It, first and foremost, well, a cute little anecdote that I can tell you is that my dad turned uh, 70 a few years ago, two, three years ago, uh, and he, um, he was in sort of development limbo on a number of films that he was trying to get made. His previous film was Four Corners, which is in 2014. Mm -hmm. And then there was a long gap where he was developing scripts with various different writers. Some were with me, some were with other people. 
And for some reason in the industry, it was just hard to get something off the ground to get the funding for it. And so he said, can you write me? A lot of those were like sort of action thrillers and, you know, he's very political and he has a lot to say. And so a lot of them get, get quite big in sort of scale. So for his 70th birthday, he said to me, can you give me a present for my 70th? Can you write me a film that'll get made? Keep it something small and light that isn't going to be too expensive. And so when I sat down and thought, what would I want to write for him that would get made that is like a, a, a beautiful, small, heartfelt mm. family story, I immediately was like, well, I would write about us. Because firstly, as you said, I haven't seen that kind of father-child or father-son representation before that's positive. And secondly, because... If it was a gift to him, I also wanted it to kind of be an ode to the kind of great father that he is. So a combination of those things, oh, I nice. guess. I yeah. love that. Thanks. <laughs> um, so what are, like, when crafting the film, what are the important aspects that you were like, this has to be in the film? Like, I'm not cutting this out. I'm not um, sure, editing sure. this part. That's a nice question because, you know, there, there were questions about... Um, there are always questions around the casting in, in specifically queer films and trans films. Mm-hmm. And immediately when we went to, like, when we were speaking to the funders about it and when we were talking to production about it, people were like, who are you going to get to play the trans character? Because, you know, are there even any trans actors? And I was immediately like, well, firstly, I'm a trans actor, so mm-hmm. I can be the fallback. But I'd also like for us to open the call to any trans actors to come and uh, audition for it. And I, unfortunately, we didn't get any our casting director tried but no one auditioned but it's also uh it was very important to me that the representation was correct mm-hmm. that the the trans actor the trans character is always played by a trans actor because when we don't do that that's when uh, misconceptions about trans people pop up because mm-hmm. we're not being represented by ourselves it's like with any community or any um marginalized person um it, you just won't get the same nuance if it's not played by the person themselves right not them exactly themselves, but yeah, someone with the same experience. <laughs> we, I get it, yeah. Um, but, so, but I am also, my background is in acting before writing, so I was also always happy, like, I was like, if, if we find casting that works for it, great. If we don't, I will absolutely step in and do it. I don't mm-hmm. mind playing kind of myself, and it's close to home, so I, I d- it didn't feel like a problem for me. But everyone did have that question, first of all. And then second of all, you know, there were things along the way where um, it just because we are on this tight budget and a short shooting schedule there was like at one point there was a question about well do we need all the drag queens because we have this show in the in the film of a whole lot of south african drag acts and that was something that i stood very firmly by when there was a suggestion that we drop some of the drag acts and i was like no we have booked these i think it's six drag artists who are incredible and who represent the South African drag community, which I don't. I'm very involved as an audience member in the South African drag community, but I'm not a drag queen like the drag queens that we have here. And they are so good at what they do and they Mm. need more representation of them so that people can hire them and pay them and they can keep doing the cool stuff that they're doing. So I was immediately like, no, we're not cutting them. (laughs) That was something I felt very strongly about because I didn't want to be representing drag, but without the drag artists involved, you know? So... Uh, that was one thing. And we had Manila Vontese, who's one of our top drag queens in the country, who, yeah. who was a drag consultant. She made sure that everything that was said about drag in the script and everything that was seen about drag in the script was kind of authentic to our drag community. So I think those are the things that I was like the most cagey about, it, just in terms of wanting to protect like queer culture and what we're mm-hmm. saying. Um, but beyond that, I, I just wanted to make sure that we had a 
a beautiful story that was authentic to us. Um, and so in casting the characters around us, the friends, the, the mother, the, the father, you know, we just wanted to make sure that these were all people who could bring a kind of level of authenticity and, and quirkiness, because we're quite a quirky pair, me and my dad, and we wanted, we wanted to reflect mm. that as best we could. I have a question, like following up on the mm. on the um, the drag the drag scenes. I mean, I haven't seen the mm. film, but I've read I read that you included like a lot of POC drag queens, yeah. and I thought that was mm-hmm. so cool because, I mean, for me personally, like I'm I'm obviously coloured and I live in a coloured area in Cape Town, yeah. and I'm so yeah. used the the only drag queens I see are coloured, so I'm like yeah same. <laughs> So I'm like, but it's so great to see that, like, it yeah. represented on screen. Like, it's not just, you don't Thank just you. get the yeah. white drag queens or, you know, yeah. there's there's more. There's, there's, there's the, just like in South Africa, there's a whole culture of Absolutely. It. I mean, I'm glad you bring that up because it wasn't like I was like, oh, let's go find some POC drag queens. Mm. I was like, all the drag queens I know are POC. Mm. So it wasn't. It was it was the reverse. It wasn't deciding to go find POC drag queens. It was like, okay, well, when I think of drag in Cape Town and the best drag that I've seen in the country, it's all POC drag queens. Mm. So that's who we're going to that's who we're going to have in the show because that for me felt like it was the best reflection of our drag community here. Mm. And I mean, you know, you must know our, our queens know how to do it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just in Cape Town alone. I mean, we didn't even dip into like Joburg drag queens or anywhere else. We just. I was like, we have what we need all here, right here in Cape Town. Um, so, so I want to talk about the casting of your parents because I mean, Ace Bunty mm. and Diane, Diane Lawrence, are icons in their own yeah. right. So, you know, why yeah, did yeah. why did you choose them? Um, well, we went through quite a rigorous audition process, um, and we felt, you know, it it always helps a film to have name actors in terms of uh, getting the funding and Mm. getting interest for it. So when we were struggling to find an Indian dad that felt kind of quirky and cool and young enough, but still kind of old and and sort of sweet and wise enough at the same time, that was going to be cool with also the trans aspect, Mm. that started to get difficult because we have a couple of actors here who I think are great and could have fit the role in terms of um, like race and in terms of being South African. But it's also hard to find someone who, who really could grapple with the content of the film in a way that we felt was respectful mm. and, and willing to learn. So that's why we decided that for the dad character, we would also cast our net out mm. towards the UK and see if we could afford any kind of name or name-ish actor from the UK to bring a little bit more prestige to the film internationally. Mm. Um, and so we cast a couple of once we'd gone through the South African auditions, we went to the UK casting director for a few uh, UK, like older Indian guys to play the dad. And it was really sweet watching all these guys because in the audition, we asked them to do a couple of scenes, but also to do a song of their choice in drag of their choice. We didn't uh-huh. explain it. So uh-huh. some of them came with lipstick and a scarf. Another <laughs> one came with a sari. They got to have like a little bit of fun uh-huh. in the auditions, which was really cool. And ultimately, ultimately we landed on Ace because he had a really... He had a really sort of earnest uh, quirk to him that we really liked, and he had he had the name. He, you know, he's quite a well-known name in in the UK, especially, but also internationally. And he just he, he just nailed the audition. We really loved him. And then, uh, the ch- but then the challenge with him was getting him to feel like he could conceivably be 
a guy, he doesn't have to have been born and bred in South Africa, but that he could be this Indian guy who's lived in South Africa. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't ever stipulate in the film where he was originally from. So if you feel that he's not South African, it's not a train smash. Because mm. um, my dad as well is also, he's got this like slightly sort of Anglophone accent. And, you know, he's, he's, mm. he's like a, a strange sort, <laughs> a mix of things as well, because he traveled a lot and he lived in different, he was, grew up in KZN, but lived in Joburg, traveled, came to Cape Town. So he's all over the place. So we weren't too fussed about that casting wise. And then for the mother, Diane Lorenson, who was Polar in Sierra mm. Leone, which I see has just announced that they are yeah. finally um, stopping after however many seasons. <laughs> um, she, she also just aced an audition. You know, we went out to a bunch of the fantastic South African actresses we have, and we felt like she, the character is a complex one because it's, it's not a spoiler to say that the son, it really resents her for leaving him when he was a baby. So it, she's kind of hated by him in the beginning. And she has to really try and redeem herself despite being a woman who quite complexly didn't want to be a mother. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, she was, she was very careful to, to make sure that the character comes across as someone who you can empathize with. Even if you wouldn't ditch your child, you can at least understand why she ditched hers, you know? Mm. Um, and I think she really pulled that off. I think she's you know she's she's an actress who manages to hold two truths at the same time mm. and she gets to be this fun bold wild woman who is not tied down by the idea of family but also someone who feels deep regret for not having that family so mm. we really like that about her so has entertainment like i know obviously it's in your blood but has it always mm. been like this is what i'm going to do this is <laughs> this is the path i'm going to take yeah, it has. I mean, in different forms. When I was a kid, I really wanted to be a musician. And then I think, but I think even then, you know, when I was young, my dad was always telling me to like think up stories. Like even if we were like waiting in a line somewhere, he'd be like, if, if, if I said I was bored or something, he'd be like, first of all, you, you can't be bored because you have things. And second of all, uh, if you're bored, make up, use your imagination. That's the best mm -hmm. toy. And like, look over there and see those people talking and now like write in a little notebook what you think their conversation is or oh, okay. what you think is behind that locked door. Or, you know, he would just kind of uh, encourage me to use my imagination all the time, which was fantastic training for writing, completely unbeknownst to him. You know, he mm -hmm. was just trying to keep his kid busy, but it ended up being the thing that I think led me into, into the kind of theater and film world. And I started in theater and then moved into film later on. And it is very much in my family. A lot of my family members are in the film industry. So I was very privileged in the sense that it never, it was never a fight with family to join. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people have to like convince their families that it's not a, a ludicrous idea to join the film industry. Um, so I didn't have that kind of in my way, but it's also then been a challenge to figure out what my voice is and, and kind of work out who I am separate mm -hmm. to my family as well. Um, which is a very privileged ta challenge to have, and I do recognize that. But yes, I have always wanted to be <laughs> in some kind of storytelling. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I've figured out that I think writing and directing are the ones that bring me the most joy, but I also really love acting. And I stopped mm -hmm. acting for a long time because I was kind of figuring out that I was trans and I didn't know how I was going to be castable and whatnot, so I needed to take some time away from it. And now that I'm coming back to it as myself and mm. in a body that I feel good in. It's, it's, it's such a fun profession as well. So, you know, you, 
you directed No Hiding Here, the first South African yeah. gay rom-com, which I loved. <laughs> I, I told you that Thank in the you. email. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> but um, so what was the response like to that? It, it was cool. I mean, I, it was, you know, my main focus with No Hiding Here with, again, we had like, in, in this one, it was a, a shoestring budget. It's for a TV movie for Showmax. And, you know, they were doing a slate of eight films in the space of, I don't know, two months or something ridiculous. And it was a, a huge challenge. And it was my first directing challenge. So it was a big learning curve for me and a great opportunity to cut my teeth on and, and work out what kind of director I want to be. But my main focus with No Hiding Here was to to make it as as unapologetically queer as possible hmm. and to not make a film that was about the trauma of queerness and about the pain of it but rather to just make a film that was about like queers who like make mistakes and are out or one is out and one is not it doesn't matter like there's just uh, a complexity to it that is queer I tried to get pronouns on the cast I mean on the call sheets I tried to uh, get all of our head of departments in the in the crew to be queer as much as I could I, I really just wanted to see if changing the kind of hierarchy and the dynamic on set and queering up mm. the actual shoot would result in any kind of difference in the product that came out of it. And I think that when you watch it, it's hard for me to say because I'm so inside of it, mm. but I think that when I watch it, I do feel that sort of queer joy inside it. Yeah. Even for its flaws that I can see now after having made it, you always look back at something and go, oh, I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that or whatever. But I do, um, I do hope that that comes across. And I think the response was beautiful, especially from queer South Africans who saw mm. it and saw some part of themselves in one of the characters. And that's, you know, that's who it's for, <laughs> really. Now, you know, I was, as you were talking about like putting pronouns on the call sheets and stuff, and I was, I was wondering... Mm. You know, what are the challenges for, you know, queer filmmakers in South African industry? And I'm, I'm sure it's a lot. Oh, but. there are. There <laughs> but, are um, yeah. but, <laughs> uh, it, it seems to be getting a little bit better. You know, it depends also who you're working with. And um, it's like in any industry, it's a sort of top down issue. Mm. So if queers are just being hired as the kind of diversity box tick to be in front of the camera, but everyone behind camera and everyone in production is all straight, then that's where you feel the sort of incongruence mm -hmm. and it doesn't actually doesn't actually help anyone with anything. But when you start to see queer producers, directors, writers and getting their stories made and then you start to see how they insist on queer actors playing the queer characters and you start to see this kind of synergy, it really uh, opens things up and it, it always benefits the story because you'll always mm -hmm. then have more nuance and more understanding behind what you're trying to say. I think the big challenge is... We still, we still see gatekeeping of queer stories um, on the kind of broader scale. So, for example, uh, the streamer who I can't mention yet, but it's, <laughs> it will become obvious, who uh, will, will um, broadcast runs in the family, they were really great about it. They were like, they were like no, there were no questions about the transness. In mm -hmm. fact, if anything, they were just like, uh, can you make it clearer sooner that he's trans in the story when they first read the script? And so I had to put in some little things because they were like, we're worried the audience isn't going to catch up to it. Um, so, so they were really wonderful. However, that same streamer, when they license something or commission something that is supposed to be for the whole continent, they have to then 
negotiate with governments, for example, like Uganda, who mm. who will reject this kind of content, right? And so the gatekeeping that happens is usually got to do with kind of political issues or um, geographical problems, right? And so I think the more that the streamers and the studios and the the sort of the big people <laughs> can kind of help us to push uh, politically to be able to tell our own stories, the better. I still think that's probably the kind of biggest uh, roadblock that we come up against. Mm. But then there's also small things like, for example, people not understanding pronouns and have, you know, I have a lot of queer friends whose pronouns just don't get uh, respected on set mm. and they eventually end up going, well, I'll lose work if I push it, so let me rather just not complain, which is a sad place yeah. to be, unfortunately, you know. So there are things big and small that can be done mm. that still need to be done. So uh, I was reading your piece in the U magazine um, during Pride Month. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> but uh, just wait, just wait. It was very paraphrased. Let me just say none of my own words, which I was okay, quite disappointed okay. to see. Uh, okay, but, okay. But <laughs> so then I don't know if I should say this, but what, like, what did strike me yeah. was that you said mm. that, well, base. It said, let's say it said, let's yeah. say it said, it said um, that everyone focuses on the medical transition of being trans and yeah. people don't talk about the social transition. And then, you know, when I was, you know, doing research about the mm. film, I was like, you know, this kind of, it kind of all knits into each other. So, you know, Absolutely. did that factor into, you know, the making of the film? Yeah, I had a big, I'll try to say this without giving a spoiler for how the film mm. ends, but I had a big... I had two options for an ending and the big question that I had to ask myself is what do I want to tell other trans people? Do I want to tell you that, you know, because in a film, every film is set up pretty much every mainstream or commercial film is set up to be like a character has a goal and they either do or don't achieve that goal, right? So if I'm setting up right at the beginning that River, the character, wants top surgery, then what am I saying if he doesn't get it? And what am I saying if he does? Mm -hmm. If he does get it, am I saying that that is the be all and end all of being trans? And if you don't get that, then you're failing as a trans person because that's not what I believe. Mm -hmm. I don't believe you need surgery to be trans and I don't believe everyone's trans medical or non-medical or social transition looks the same. So I didn't want to say that. I also didn't want to say, I also didn't want to leave everyone feeling completely hopeless where he clearly wants it and doesn't get it. So I had to come up with an ending that addressed that without being too on the nose, but which still, I wanted it to instill hope in the people who do want surgery, but I wanted to, it to also tell everyone that the surgery doesn't define you or your transness. Mm -hmm. And whether you want it or not, if you want it and you can't get it, you're still okay. And if you want it, if you don't want it and you don't get it, you're still okay. But I wanted to try and get that across, but also without being like, here's a message. <laughs> so it was a it was a difficult thing, but it's definitely something that, you know, in previous interviews I've done for the film, the thing that I always say is I want people to take away from this is that there are as many ways to be trans as there are mm -hmm. trans people. And you've got to kind of pave your own way and find the people who will support you along the way. That's that's mm -hmm. all I'm trying to say with this film. Um, so it does kind of talk to that thing because your medical transition is only one way to be trans mm -hmm. and it is not the only the only way. Mm, love that. Um, okay, so I'm gonna ask the final question. So this is a question we ask Ooh. everybody. This is just my disclaimer. But um, who was your first celebrity crush? <gasps> Angelina Jolie. Oh, perfect. <laughs> 
I'm sorry to say it, it came so quickly, so but she quickly. Was, I was obsessed with her as a kid. I had posters of her. I even had an autograph from her that my aunt had gotten. Like uh, I, I was like, uh. I was nuts about her. And I think it was because it was probably Tomb Raider that did it. But then after that, I just watched everything of hers. But I think it was just because she was a tomboy and I didn't see a lot of that at the time. And so I think that was my first sign that you could be, you could be, cool and beautiful and masculine at the same time before mm. I understood actually no I'm a trans dude I thought okay well then maybe that's the type of girl that I'm supposed to be because I don't feel like the type of girl who's doing the stuff that everyone else is telling me to do so I think that's probably what's beneath it but also I just thought she was like super cool and super hot <laughs> <laughs> I love it thank you so much Gabe for chatting to thank me you, this Karen. was lovely um it was yeah. thank you for the lovely questions and for the time <laughs> That was our interview with Gabe Gabriel. His film will be available to stream, as he said. He has not told us where yet. So once we know when Runs in the Family is going to air, we will share it on all our social media platforms so that when you want to watch the film, you can. Um, But yes, you can find Gabe on all the social medias. We will link everything in our show notes. And you can find No Hiding Here, his previous film, on Showmax. And that's it for our episode. Don't forget to go to YouTube to watch our exclusive interviews with the directors of Kezazi Moto. That's all from us this week. If you would like to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash crashingonpod, where you can get bonus content in exchange for a monthly financial subscription. To catch us on social media, you can find me at Karen Walby on Instagram and at Karen Walby's with an S on Twitter. The podcast can be found at Crushing on Pod on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and Facebook. We're on threads now too. You can also find more information about this and all of our other episodes on our website, crushingonpodcast.com and send any feedback to mail at crushingonpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Rebecca Barches. The show is produced by me, Karen, Rebecca Barches, and Leanne Philipson. Our logo was designed by Nathifa Maruf. If you like the show, tell everyone that you can, any way that you can. Keep up to date with all our episodes by subscribing to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review the episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as it helps others find the show. We'll be back soon with another in-depth conversation. See you then. Mm-hmm.